Good morning, church family. Delight to be with you. Um, I'm always inspired to worship with you. Thank you very much for encouraging my heart as we got to sing together and delight in the Lord's goodness. Um, I'd like you to turn your Bible open to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you have your Bible, if you don't know how to get there, there's always a great table of contents right in the very beginning. Don't, you don't have to worry about that. Um, if you didn't bring your Bible, there's some pew Bibles provided for you. They're page 398, that vicinity, or you can just use your phone. Pop it up on your phone, and we'll all be together in the book of Nehemiah. And this morning, we're going to be in chapter 1, starting verse 1, all the way through verse 5 of chapter 2. If you're new with us, welcome. Bridges is a place that loves to dive into God's Word. We love to listen to the Lord and hear Him speak and challenge us and sharpen us. And that's what we're going to be doing here in the next few minutes. And this morning, we're starting a new series. It's a series that we're going to, in the next few weeks, as you've heard, invite kids in with us. So all the children are going to be in. There are going to be some really creative, fun things going on with us in the next few weeks. And uh, it's going to be wrapped around the themes in the book of Nehemiah that ex- expressly, directly connect to our families. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah at all, uh, let me just help you with the big picture. Because there is a driving theme in the book of Nehemiah. You might have heard other um, series on Nehemiah or thought, studied it yourself. But there is this overarching theme in the book about restoration. The book really at its heart is about restoration. It's about restoring a people and a place. Nehemiah is called out by God to take a risk in his life. We're going to see that in chapter 1. And he goes and he ends up in a place that had been in disrepair and needed to be rebuilt. And it wasn't just the wall or the city of Jerusalem that's going to be rebuilt. There's a spiritual rebuilding that's going to happen. And as we work our way through the book, I think you'll be strongly encouraged. We're going to have a lot of fun together and do it in a creative way. And I think you'll, um, you'll love what this book has to bring to you because of that theme of restoration. That theme is incredibly important to my family. And I think it probably is for every family represented here, every um, group of people that you might do life with, because all of us are broken. All of us have experienced places in our past where we wish, oh man, if it was just a little bit different here, we, we look at our kids, we look at our parents, we look at our grandparents or our grandkids, we look at our extended family, and we see places of brokenness where we long to see God at work. We long to see God repair that, that which is hurt and build it back up. And for many of you, I know, um, because I've heard stories, and many of you have heard our stories of our family, we, we long to see health and wholeness. And so as we study this book and study specifically this passage this morning, we're going to take some forward steps. We're going to see what God might have for us in that beginning process of bringing restoration. Now, Here's some context. Prior to Nehemiah being grabbed hold of by God in the very first verses of this text, the people of Israel had been suffering through the consequences of their rebellion, their sin, their disobedience against God. And God had made it really clear for them. You go this way and you you live in harmony with me. You love me and you follow me with your whole heart. I'm going to continue to pour out my blessing. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. And I am going to care for you. But if you step away from me, you step into disobedience, there's going to be consequences. 
And the people of God just wrestled with him like we all do. And they actually went down a trail of distancing themselves and disobeying God in greater and greater ways. And finally, God brought consequences, accountability into their life. And it came in some really hard ways where they were conquered as a nation and led into exile. And Jerusalem and Judah was destroyed. And the people who were God's people struggled. God had not given up with them yet. And that's the great news. And one of the great things that we can take from this wonderful book is that even in our struggle, even when we are distancing ourselves from God and suffering the consequences of our own rebellion, God does not give up on us. He loves us. And he's drawing us back in relationship with himself. And if you came this morning and you've been living at distance from God, I want you to hear this. That God loves you. This time, this place, his word is not about judgment. It's about life and life eternal and pouring into your wholeness and health, rebuilding like we see in this book. And that's good news, isn't it? Regardless of the place we find ourselves in, no matter the current state of our families, the depth of brokenness and disrepair, God is not finished. That's good news. It's so good news for me. I think it's good news for every one of us. We know that every one of us is broken. Every one of us struggles in our relationship with God, in our relationship with one another. We've got this long history of brokenness, and yet God is not finished. He loves to restore. He loves to bring health and wholeness, forgiveness, So that's the story. Nehemiah chapter 1. Read it with me. Um, It's going to take a little bit because we're going to read all the way through chapter 1 and into the first five verses of chapter 2. This is the word of God, I think, designed for you this morning, designed for me this morning. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So he's brokenhearted. He comes before God. He hears this, this news. Then. And then he prays out this prayer. Um, many prayers, actually. He's continuing pressing into his prayers. But there's one that we get that's recorded for us here, starting in verse 5. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive 
and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They're your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah, he has this, um, this powerful moment. Now, we don't know Nehemiah's history before this. We don't have what's going on in his heart. All we know is this, that um, as an exile, he had been promoted, and he had this really cushy job. His job is to sample the greatest wine. That's what his job is. His job is to sample the greatest wine that's going to be given to the king and to make sure that it's not poison. If it is, then he's going to keel over first, and the king just leaves him. He's like a little canary or whatever, you know, in a, in a cave. But that's his whole job. And then to serve it with a smile on his face to the king. It's a pretty cushy job, right? It's a great job. And he's living in the palace, and he's serving the king, and, and he's got this great job. And then something's going on. God had apparently been doing something undercover in his heart. And I, I don't know about you, but there are moments, especially times where something happens to me and things click, where I can look back and see, wow, God has God brought in all these things to line up and tenderize me to a place where I could then actually be brokenhearted. But that had been happening in his life. We don't know the history. All we know is what happens was that his brother and some of those people who had escaped and gone to Jerusalem to try to live there and figure out what they could do to rebuild. They came back, and they made the risky trip all the way back, and they had a conversation 
with Nehemiah, and Nehemiah hears how broken things are, that people's lives are at risk, they're barely making it, that Jerusalem is destroyed still, and the walls are down, the gates are burned up, and something happens to him in that moment where what was really important to God and what was on God's heart all of a sudden became what was important to Nehemiah. It struck him really deep. And the text says that he was brokenhearted. At the outset of this book, that he discovers a tender heart toward the thing God cares about. That that was the very first step that God took with Nehemiah and his people to bring restoration. A heart that was tender to the thing that God really cared about. In this situation, it was restoration. It was rebuilding, but not just the physical rebuilding. It was the spiritual rebuilding of his people. I don't know the whole story of what brought him to this moment. We just see in the text that finally gets through to him. He'd probably heard news because he was part of the palace staff of what was going on in his homeland. But when his brother comes, and when these friends come, and they share the news of how bad it is, it just sinks down deep. And verse 4 tells us that as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It strikes me that um, I avoid these places too often. Places where all of a sudden um, my emotional defenses are stripped down and my sense of control gets taken away from me. Emotional brokenness, I think, can be scary and being fully aware of my neediness and my lack of control, it feels helpless, like I'm admitting defeat. Or, but that's exactly where God wanted him. It's exactly where God takes us for important reasons for us to discover sovereignty that the reality is I really am dependent on God. I, I truly am and I need to be to that place and it happens to Nehemiah in this moment. All of a sudden he's brokenhearted and he's calling out to God. I don't know everyone here. But can I ask you a personal question from the text that I'm struck with? What would bring you to a similar place? What would bring you to a place where the things that are most significant to the heart of God became most significant to you and broke your heart? To a place where you were just calling out to God like Nehemiah calls out here where he's just broken before the Lord, and then he starts praying, and it says he's continually praying, and he's fasting as well. His people, the Jews, were broken and scattered and directionless, and his homeland was in total disrepair, and they needed physical and spiritual restoration, and God was the only answer, and it got to Nehemiah. It got under his skin. But he doesn't just wallow in self-pity or despair, does he? He doesn't just give in to the overwhelming depression and helplessness that could have brought to him. But instead, there's this great theme that's part of this morning's passage. It's like central to the passage of what Nehemiah does with his brokenness. Nehemiah prays. He, 
he turns to the only answer for our restoration, which is persistent prayer. He, he just dives in with both feet and just starts calling out to the Lord. And in the text, we get this great insight into the depth and the variety of prayers that Nehemiah engaged in. The first one we see is in verse 4, or excuse me, yes, verse, one, verse 4 of chapter 1, where it says his prayers were continual and they were coupled with fasting. Fasting helps us focus our attention throughout the day on the activity of prayer. It gives us this constant reminder of our hunger and focuses that hunger toward the Lord and God. And if that's never been part of your spiritual discipline, I would encourage you to try it just for one meal maybe this week to examine yourself and say, God, what is it that I'm really passionate about that I want to pray out to you and be reminded for? And that's what happens in Nehemiah's life. It reminds him of his dependence on the Lord, his need for him. If there is a need in your family for restoration, for the healing touch of the Lord, what would you be willing to do for that? Nehemiah becomes broken and starts getting very serious about his prayer life, praying out the Lord persistently. It's just the place where God wanted him to begin this journey of restoration. I know there's many of you here that hunger for a depth in your prayer experience, in your life of prayer with the Lord, that you would experience his presence and his movement. Scripture is filled with all kinds of prayers that we can pray out to God. Um, One of them, of course, is that famous one in Matthew chapter 6, where his disciples come to the place where they ask Jesus, how do we even pray? How do we do this? And Jesus says, model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, if you use the King James Version, right? He prays this out as a model for them to think about. It's a great model. And here is another, I think, really great example of prayer that we're given into the heart as Nehemiah prays it out. There's some powerful things in this prayer that I'd like you to discover with me. It's so rich. Because Nehemiah calls on the promises and the steadfast love of God, doesn't he? He prays this out starting in verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. And now skip to verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Remember your promises, God? I'm going to pray them out. Now think with me about what he's doing here. First, isn't it easy to jump into our prayer life? into our prayers, and not consider who we're praying to, not consider who we're having a conversation with, or to use well-worn titles for God that we're not even actually thinking about, but we just jump into our prayer, and then we get to our list of needs and desires for our own heart. That's not what Nehemiah does here. He does something different. He thinks more deeply about who he's praying to, about God himself, And he starts praying that out. Nehemiah demonstrates that he knows the Lord and he has deeply considered who he's coming before. Try that out next time. 
you enter into prayer, about thinking who it is you're praying to. Specifically, Nehemiah prays out, O Lord God of heaven, the great and an awesome God, I'm standing before you with great need, and you're great. You are sovereign. You're the Lord of heaven. I'm praying out to you. Try opening your prayers with speaking out biblical truth about the nature and character of God in your prayers. Think about who he is right at the beginning of your prayer. When you're just just entering into that moment where you're having conversation with him, reorientate your mind and your heart as you speak truth out. And then Nehemiah owns the reason behind all the brokenness that he's been grieving over and experiencing. And the reason is personal and corporate, isn't it? It's their brokenness. It's their sin. I love that Nehemiah, he doesn't blame others or make excuses like I can often do. He just confesses. He comes before the Lord God and confesses his sin out. I now pray, verse 6, before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Now, he wasn't in that generation that was judged by God originally. It happened 70 years earlier. But he was taking ownership for his own brokenness and how he shared and the corporate brokenness of the people of Israel. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes and rules that you commanded with your servant Moses. He includes himself. We all come before you broken, right? Like every one of us in this room and outside on the other side and all across this campus, every person in Fremont today and Milpitas and every other place around here is broken before God. We're sinners The question is, are we going to own it, right? Are we actually going to come before the Lord God of heaven and earth and say, that's me. I'm broken and a sinner and I confess that before you and I need your forgiveness. Now listen, here's the great news. God does not stand over us with condemnation. There is no condemnation in him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of God for us. And we rejoice in that, right? We live in that truth. So confession should come quickly to us. We step right in there, and that's what Nehemiah models. It's our sin that led to this. I acknowledge that, Lord. And once Nehemiah has taken these two steps, first acknowledging who God is, and then owning his sin and humbly confessing before him, Nehemiah begins praying out God's desires and pressing into his true identity and the shared identity of all those who would follow Yahweh. He says this in verse 8, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Remember that, Lord, and you are true to your promise. We've been scattered. They were scattered all over the Middle East at this point. You were faithful. I get that. But also remember the other part of that promise. If we would just return to you, you would gather us up. Remember what you said? God, we need you. And I'm calling out that you would be true to your promise. It's a powerful way to pray. Because we know that God is always true to all of his promises. 
God, I know that you love my kids. I know that you love my parents. I know that you love my grandparents, my cousins, whatever. Bring them to you, Lord. Lord, they once were walking with you. They're away from you. God, I own that sin. But bring them back. And he starts praying these things out before God, calling on the promises of God. God, you still have a plan for your people, a place for your choosing. I know that, and I want to be part of that. Accomplish your plan. Fulfill your promises, Lord. And then notice he presses into places of identity, of who they truly were. Nehemiah mentions in his prayer that we are your servants. You don't serve us. I don't come to God for him to fulfill my list The Nehemiah, part of his job was to be a waiter. And sometimes that's how we treat God. That he would be our waiter in our prayers. That's, that's not how it works. We wait on God. That's prayer. Waiting on the Lord. Calling it out. And that's exactly what happens to Nehemiah. He, he prays out, we're your servants. And we are your redeemed people. Here's the great truth. God, you would go to any lengths to demonstrate your love. In fact, we know that that's the story of the Old Testament, that he was a redeeming God. And it's brought to fruition, to its fullness in Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for us. That he paid the price, his own life, his own blood, shed on a cross for me to redeem me, to buy me back for his own. He has demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He redeemed us. And that's who I am. And if you ever question the love of God, then get your theology right. right? Understand who you are and who he is. He is your redeemer and you are the redeemed one. Pray like it. That's what Nehemiah does. He presses into that place where he knows that God has loved him. And that he has been redeemed and God's people have been redeemed. And then he speaks out this word. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, who love to worship you, who love to respect you and to honor you. That's who we're created to be. These truths that we're servants, that we're the redeemed ones, that we were made to delight in God and to reverence him, that's core to our identity. So he prays that out. But Nehemiah's prayers, they don't end with just that prayer, do they? There's another prayer offered in this passage that reveals where Nehemiah's head and heart is. It, it happens in chapter 2, verse 4. So there's this moment of risk. Nehemiah's job, again, is to sip the good wine and give it to the king. And he has understood that God is calling him to something different, to something bigger and more significant. doesn't know all the details of it, just that he's being called into this place. And he starts to have a conversation with the king. Nehemiah, he's got two jobs, right? Taste the wine and serve it with a smile on his face. And if he blows it, he can be fired, he can lose his job, but even worse, it's the king who's sovereign. He can do anything he wants to Nehemiah. If he's displeased with Nehemiah, Nehemiah can lose his life. And that's why he's afraid in this text, because he comes before the king and he, he can't hide his emotion. The king sees it on his face, 
And he calls him out on it. And he says, what's going on with that? And in the moment, he's got a decision. It's a moment of risk for Nehemiah. Is he going to step into the risk? Is he going to be the kind of guy that says, I don't want to play it safe. I'm not going to just live life here in the castle, in the palace, and serve the king and sip good wine for the rest of my life. God is calling me to something bigger and more significant. Is he going to risk it? It's hard, isn't it? When we know God is moving us to something bigger and greater in our lives, and we want to hold on to what's comfortable. We hate change. We hate letting go of things. And yet God has called Nehemiah in this moment, and there's a moment where he's got to do something about it. And so the text says, what? He prays. It's one of those not long prayers, one of those quickie prayers. Like in the moment when we discover that something's going on and I have to have God at work in my life right now or I'm toast, prayers. And so just in the moment, I call out to God, Lord, help me, please. And then you do what God has called you to do. Think about this because it's so significant. It's It's a test for Nehemiah and Nehemiah steps into it in the right way. The next time that you experience challenge in your life, a risk in your life, is your first response, oh Lord, please help, before you just dump, jump in and do it? That that's what's being called out of him, and that's how he responds. He just prays. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Good move, right? Good move. It's a pretty good temperature gauge, isn't it? And then there's one more fascinating piece to the beginning of the story. Nehemiah risks being part of the solution. Verse 5. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Your majesty, I want to be part of it. Send me. I'm going to step away from the luxury life in the palace and this cushy job. And I'm going to go to a place that's in desolation. I know it's going to be risky. My own life could be at risk. I don't know what I'm going to find when I get there. I don't know how God is going to work out his purposes when I get there. I don't know all the obstacles of even getting there. And when I get there, what's going to happen to me? We're going to discover those later in the, in the context of our message series. But he says the right thing, doesn't he? God, send me. Majesty, I want to be part of the solution here. Send me to the place with no security, the place where my ancestors, my fathers have died, where they lost their lives and we were conquered and we lost our way. Send me there. I want to be part of the solution Solving things for him meant he was going to give up everything and then be part of solving things. One of my heroes is a guy named Greg who leads a ministry that we partner with in Mexico who left the cushy life and he finds himself now in this place where he is serving people and he is 
He's really great at building the kingdom down there. And many of you guys have been down there and experienced Greg and the ministry, the partnership. And that's what Nehemiah does here. I'm going to go. I'm going to risk it because God has called me. I'm going to step in and not hold on to the comfort. I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. Now, the end of the story, I'm not going to give up like all the great things that happen. But the end of the story is really good. He pulls Nehemiah into a place where Nehemiah did not expect. And it was full of danger and profound movement in his own faith and profound movement in the people of God. And God used him in ways far beyond he would have ever been used. His name would not have gone down in history if he would have stayed and remained in the palace as a cupbearer. But instead, he chose the risk of being part of God's solution. Perhaps you've come this morning and there's pieces in your life or the life of your family that are broken in need of restoration. You're wondering where to start. Listen to the word of the Lord here this morning. Let your heart be broken for the things that really truly matter to God the most. And pray perhaps in a way that you've never entered in seeking out God. Remember who he is, who you're, who you're talking to. Be bold enough to be real with God in your sin, your brokenness, confessing that before him and press into his promises and who you are as a called out one of God. And then risk being part of the solution. Step into it where you see the broken place and follow the call of God. Don't hold on to places of comfort. Let's be a church. Let's be a people who pray and step into where God is calling us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the great encouragement this text brings, knowing that you're a God who rebuilds, who loves to bring restoration. And thank you for the challenge of this word that would move us to be people brokenhearted for the things that matter to you, praying out persistently with open hearts and then stepping into where you're calling us, risking it for your namesake. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has redeemed us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.